Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. Fully Loaded Chew is tobacco-free, long-cut, and pouches that gives you the same pack, dip, spit, and buzz that you're used to without tobacco. Fully Loaded Chew comes in nine flavors and is made with all food-grade ingredients and tobacco-free nicotine. To give us a try, head on over to FullyLoadedChew.com for a $1 can of chew with free shipping when you enter the code OUTDOOR1, O-U-T-D-O-O-R, and the number one. For more information on our product line, visit FullyLoadedChew.com. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Pennsylvania Woodsman. As always, you got Mitchell Shirk in. Robbie Henney. How you doing, Mitchell? Just another day in paradise, buddy. Picking up things with work, families picking up. I hate trying to use the word busy because it sounds like I make excuses, but uh, things are picking up and we're, we're getting more chaotic as yeah. spring approaches. And and uh, I know things are getting chaotic with you and the household. Yep. And yeah. As we're recording this, exactly one month till the wedding. Uh, two weeks until we get to move into our house. And just the craziness of summer altogether. So yeah, there's always always something, but it's, it's exciting. Um, this week we had a really cool conversation with uh, somebody who reached out to us after I did an episode with Dan Matthews and the Nomadic Outdoorsman, and uh, his name is Jacob Coons, and he is a non-resident, but he's a non-resident that's a pretty driven, dude. Um, I was pretty blown away by the amount of information he knew about Pennsylvania elk hunting. Yeah, he had a wealth of information and detailed information and <clears throat> explained it real well to us and broke it down really, really well and we could understand it. And Sure, sure, sure. And he, uh, you know, some of the things we talked about, so so cool piece of information. Uh, Jacob was one of the guys who was able to draw a late season bull tag in Pennsylvania and he was he was successful and I killed a, a beautiful bull. Yeah, awesome experience. <clears throat> without a doubt. And he, he kind of breaks us down through that. You know, we, we go through. He talks a little bit about eastern elk hunting in general. You know, yep. J- Jacob's from Kentucky, and uh, he, he's experienced elk hunting in Kentucky. You know, they have a, a pretty decent herd. He talks about that. He gets into the application process and the experience he had at drawing a tag yep. in Pennsylvania. Uh, talks about his hunt. And we, we talk about uh, all the logistics in and around that. And then we kind of, you know, wrap it up talking about some cool stuff just hunting related in the, the hunting community. Yeah. And like you said, talking all about eastern elk hunting, honestly, I didn't know all the states that have herds. Not no, necessarily. Not necessarily people aren't able to hunt or it's just resident hunting, but that. What he a lot of stuff. What he said, I didn't know, and 
It's all awesome information. Well, it's it's eye opening because he said, you know, he when he went on his elk hunt, he yeah. says this in the episode. He said that there was people that were residents and had cabins and in, in units yep. that uh, have elk yeah. and have never applied. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people who are Pennsylvania residents. My dad's one. I mean, well, you said you're one, maybe yep. not after this, but, you know, a lot of people that don't apply for a Pennsylvania elk tag, and it's like... Yeah, I don't think my dad is either, Yeah, I think. And it's, uh, yeah, maybe it's a tough drawing, but, you know, Jacob's a non-resident, and he put his time in for, yep. what do you say, 10 years, I think? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. 10 years, but at the same time, like, with the, the new seasons that have happened, the, the early season and the late season... Yeah. Uh, your your points for that regular tag don't pool into those, so you're yeah. on the same playing field as everybody if you've been applying from the beginning. Yep. So we'll dig into this episode in just a second. Uh, real quick, I just want to shout out to Little Mountain Outfitters. So cool thing, um, aside from the fact that you can get uh, brand new bow, Prime, Matthews, Bear, and the list goes on, he's got uh, plenty of crossbows. If you're looking to upgrade your equipment, fantastic. The... Uh, Side note to that is if you're just looking to tune up what you got or get new strings, guys, the, the, this is the time to do it if you're going to upgrade your equipment or if you're going to change strings, tune things up, get ready. Do it now. Don't wait until the last minute. You've got unparalleled customer service with Devon. And one of the cool things is is it he's he is a bow shop, but there's a little bit more to that bow shop. I just got done planting uh planting some trees at my house and then we also planted some trees at the the other property that i hunt uh we we bought some norway spruce we planted some persimmons and uh, i planted some some other native forage uh bushes i planted some hazelnut and oh gosh man i can't remember what the last one was but uh, devon's always doing cool stuff like that trying to um tie together you know, the hunting atmosphere, and uh, that, that's why they're they're great supporters of of this podcast. And uh, big shout out to them. So, having said that, let's get to the episode. All right, we are locked and ready to go. And this week we have Jacob Coons on the line with us. Jacob, thanks for reaching out and uh, and chatting with us today. Mitchell and Robbie, I really appreciate you guys having me. Uh, really uh, honored to be on the podcast and talk about uh, Eastern elk hunting, Pennsylvania elk, and and all things related to just hunting in general. Yeah, we're honored to have you. Yeah, thank um, you. So you, uh, this all started from, um, I did an episode with Dan on the Nomadic Outdoorsman, and you kind of reached out afterwards. But it was kind of funny before you reached out. I had listened to the episode that you did because, you know, me, you know, both of us being from Pennsylvania, I'm very interested in elk. I've been applying for uh, a number of years in Pennsylvania. I'd love to have the opportunity one day to draw a tag. And uh, you've been one of the lucky people that have been fortunate enough to draw a tag in Pennsylvania. Yeah, I had been putting in for 10 years, and I'm a little bit of an adult onset hunter. I hunted when I was a kid, uh, you know, like a lot, like most of us, but uh, I stopped in my teens. My, um, I, I just, I, you know, when I was growing up, it was uh, go, you know, take your climber and go find a good tree up there, and we didn't pay attention to the wind, and we didn't know 
Uh, we sort of hunted, you know, uh, rub the rub lines or whatever, but we didn't really know about scrapes and, and, um, maybe I had a safety harness. Maybe I didn't, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe I had some food. Maybe I had some water. And, and, and so it was, there was, there wasn't a whole lot of strategy into hunting when I was a kid. And so as an adult, um, I started to get back into it about 10 years ago. Okay. And that made me like 37, 38. And, I, you know, I'm really sort of kicking myself for taking that long to get back into it. So anybody, like I know Robbie, you you said you're like 28 or something. 25, yeah. Uh, yeah, 12, 25. Yep. Okay, you're yep. lucky, man. You're, you're lucky. Don't let these years get away. Yeah. <laughs> because, um, no, I honestly uh, got back into it because I had done a lot of uh, – men's league sports like soccer and basketball okay. and flag football and, and just needed something and realized that, you know, hunting is a life skill. Hunting is meaningful and it's, it's a gritty experience. And, uh, and, and so I really cut my teeth on trying to become a better hunter 10 years ago. And some, by, by some miracle of God, I started putting in for the Pennsylvania elk draw and, um, and I, you know, I live in Kentucky. I knew about a little bit about Eastern elk because 25 years ago, elk were introduced to Kentucky. And so yeah, we're they've been having to hunt a little bit long. No, not quite as long as Pennsylvania. How do you, do you remember, do you remember what the, the timeline of those two states are? Cause they were like the, the pioneers of Eastern elk hunting. Isn't that correct? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think. It's very a very similar timeline okay. from a hunting standpoint. Now the numbers are very different. Now right. here in Kentucky, we have somewhere north of somewhere close to thirteen thousand elk. Some people will say it's ten thousand. Some will say it's fifteen. But we have, you know, close to thirteen thousand elk. Where in Pennsylvania, you all have maybe fourteen hundred elk. So, you know, a much lower percent of elk. But you're you're absolutely right, Mitchell. The timeline in terms of hunting them is very similar and uh the the, the draws are, are different in the sense that in kentucky it's about 600 folks that get get drawn last year in pennsylvania it was 187 folks uh this next year it's going to drop a little bit to right. 178 yeah. we could we could talk more about that but um yeah before before yeah, we I, get to that jacob I, I wouldn't mind asking you if you start before we get into the elk side I, i'm really curious like you started um, backup hunting later in life. And I mean, I can relate to doing other stuff. I mean, Robbie and I, we played football in high school. Um, we, we both still play on a men's fast pitch softball team. And I actually, you know, backed away and stopped, uh, stopped doing it so much because family life and work life. And I'm, you know, trying to prioritize this and prioritize the best hunter, but I'm really interested because most people, when they get back into it, they get back into the deer and the turkey and the things that are just readily available on a year in year out basis. Like, I'm really curious, like, did anything stand out? Like, what drew you to an eastern elk? Like, I'm going to start applying for eastern elk hunting because it's a little bit abnormal compared to, uh, you know, what, what's, what you're used to hearing people do, I guess. You know, it's – I'm going to blame uh, the old Field and Stream and Outdoor Life magazines a little bit because I, I – I, you know, again, if we go back in time 10 years ago, there really weren't – there were no podcasts – and, you know, YouTube really wasn't a thing, but, you know, I'd be in the grocery store and I'd pick up a, a filled stream or an outdoor life and I would just see some of these things out West 
And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so interesting. And and like I said, I had hunted whitetail as a kid, and it just didn't seem like there was a real strategy. But I remember seeing something about hunting pronghorn with a, a decoy, and the pronghorn would charge the decoy, and you would pop up with your bow and shoot it. And and I just remember that, and this was probably you know 12 years ago, and I remember talking to my dad about it. I was like, oh my gosh, that sounds amazing. You know? <laughs> so I started looking at Western hunting back then. Okay. It's for some, you know, somehow I couldn't, I don't know how it happened, but somehow, some way, Kentucky elk and Pennsylvania elk came across my radar. And, uh, and yeah, and so I knew that I had a very little chance, but it was still, you know, you're still telling me there's a chance, so to speak. <laughs> you're uh, saying there's a chance. More like one a- in a million. So you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> you know, I, I was a, a girl like me and a guy like you, uh, well, no, no, actually, we won't do that. But, <laughs> but so it, it's, um, it, it just, I don't know how, honestly. And, and that's why I say it was some by act, some act of God that 10 years ago I started putting in for Pennsylvania elk. And then the real luck came about four years ago when they broke the general season or they kept the general season, but they wanted to spread out the hunting pressure. And so they, and they wanted, more hunters. So they brought in a, a, a archery season in September and a late season in January. And so when, in, in Pennsylvania, for those that are listening, there's a, a, a bonus point system. So um, every year you put in, if you don't get drawn, you get another point. So I'm up to nine points right now for the general season tag, Okay, which is not, which is not the max by any means, mm-hmm. but but I was at the top of the list when they brought in the archery in the uh, the late season. So I have I had three points for each of those seasons, and I was at the top of the list. And so if you get in on something like that, and so like as we look at other states and we can talk about other states for your listeners, it might be like, hey, if these eastern states that's that are introducing elk today, five years ago, five years from now, have a hunt and have a bonus system. You know, your listeners need to jump on that so that they're at the top of that list. And so I was fortunate enough to, you know, long story short, I was fortunate enough to be at the top of the list for archery, which I still am, and the late season, which I used all my points for this year. And then I'll, you know, have I have still have nine points for the general season. But uh, yeah, so so tell us about that. I mean, so you drew a, a late season cow tag, correct? Well, in in 2020. I do. I drew a late season cow tag okay. for Kentucky. Okay. Um, yeah. So, so I hunted, and, and I'll talk a little bit about that. Um, Kentucky doesn't have a bonus or a point system, so every year is a random draw. So, so you know, Mitchell and Robbie, if y'all haven't put in for Kentucky, January one, put in for Kentucky. It's it'll cost you maybe thirty bucks. There's uh, several, like three different seasons. Similar to just what I described with Pennsylvania. And your tag is going to be a little bit more because you're a non-resident. And they, they cap the draw in Kentucky at 10% residents. But I mean, they still, I've talked to a guy from New York last year that drew Kentucky and, um, or New York state. And, um, and, and so, you know, it doesn't cost a lot of money. It's a random draw and you're no, no disadvantage. 
to putting in for it than, than if you didn't, you know, you hadn't been putting in for 20 years or whatever, like you would be, say, in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. So, so I drew a late season cow tag. Cow, cows, strangely, are more difficult to kill than a bull in, in pretty much, definitely in the eastern states, like Kentucky and Pennsylvania, if you look at the, the harvest statistics. And so that was a, a five-day hunt from uh, December 26th to the December 30th. And you could use any weapon, and I brought my rifle. My dad and my, uh, my daughter came with me. And we, uh, I, I, t- I take a very analytical approach to, you know, these sort of uh, the Pennsylvania hunt and, and, and certainly the Kentucky hunt. And um, I found the elk. I, I, went, I did it myself. I did DIY. I didn't want to hire anybody for a cow tag, you know, and, uh, but I just, you know, I just got too aggressive and, uh, bumped them and we could never relocate them. And so unfortunately I did, I didn't fill that tag for the, the late season cow elk, uh, here in, uh, here in Kentucky, but the tag I drew for, um, Pennsylvania was a late season bull tag. Okay. And yeah. And so, What's interesting is for just to sort of compare and contrast the two states because it's kind of um, it's good to it's fun to do. Like I talked about how Kentucky doesn't have a bonus system, but Pennsylvania does. The other thing that Kentucky and Pennsylvania do differently is that when you put in for Kentucky, you don't have to pick a, a unit uh, okay. to hunt in. You you go into a secondary draw mm-hmm. for that, and and that can be quite honestly. Uh, there's a lot of, I mean, it, it's a kind of a stressful thing because people, people get drawn for Kentucky and, they, and it feels like you won the lottery, but the secondary draw is, is, um, a five, 10 pounds of potatoes in a five pound bag. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've got, again, a lot of, you know, a lot of land, but you've got a lot of private land that intersects with public land. And, and so you've got to figure out, what what unit do I want to hunt in, and and is it going to give me the best opportunity? Because some units in Kentucky don't have any public land up. So if you put in for a unit that doesn't have public land, you're going to be knocking on a lot of doors. And uh, and and in, in the way that that draw works is you pick five choices. If you don't get, you could potentially get pushed into a unit. Into, you could get pushed into that unit that doesn't have public land, and you don't. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of dynamics there. But but Pennsylvania is different because you get to pick ahead of time. The, they call it zones in Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and you get to pick ahead of time what zone you want to hunt in. In uh, and, and uh, you get to you can employ a little bit more strategy, you know, before you put in. Uh, I think that I think it starts June first here in Pennsylvania. Uh, when you can start putting in. <clears throat> yeah, that's correct. Um, so go uh, take me through the process. So, you know, when you uh, w- when they split the seasons up, I believe it was four years ago, and they had the, the, the archery, the general admission season, then the late season. Uh, you were, you know, same playing field as everybody at that point with those. And uh, uh, drew your bowl tag. One of the, the changes that happened within, and you said you drew this past year and you went uh, 2021, is that correct? Yeah, it, it was a 2021 tag, but the right. hunt is actually it's January. In January. Yeah. January. So, yeah. so then um, 
you would have been part of the, or you would have been experiencing the change that we had in how you go about picking a unit when you uh, apply for your tag. I mean, uh, there was a time where you would apply and you could just put no preference and done. And now there's a there's a little bit of a, a difference there that you can put in a certain amount of units, I think up to four unit preferences, um, kind of giving you more specific goals you know if, if you don't really care you just want to hunt or maybe you want to hunt in the unit that you have a cabin or something along those lines so from your perspective like how did you go about adjusting that change did you do your research on zones in pennsylvania to know how you wanted to go about that or were you kind of just like i just want the opportunity what did that look like for you yeah that's a really good question question mitchell because you know going in i couldn't I really couldn't find a lot of information on the zones, honestly. And I didn't, you know, I don't, you know, prior to getting drawn, I didn't really keep up with the history of the zones. I know that they had added zones like zone 14 and 13 in more recent years. And, um, and, and I think, uh, maybe in 2013, the zones went through a, a, an, an entire over or sort of an overhaul or an expansion. Uh, and so what used to be zone five is no longer zone five. It became zone two or something like that. But and also ultimately I couldn't find a lot of information. And so the way that I sort of looked at it was, okay. Um, I, I tried to look at you know, the amount of public land in a zone because I'm the type of guy that I want to stretch my legs I want to experience, I want to punish myself a little bit. Um, I, 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 I've hunted out West. I, I killed a, a bull in Montana with, on a general tag. And it was, it was glorious. The amount of punishment <laughs> that I felt <laughs> during and afterwards. And, and it's strange to say that, but, uh, I think in this world that we live in, that's very comfortable. When we can get uncomfortable, it becomes really memorable for some reason. And so, um, so I wanted this, I wanted to stretch my legs in the zone that I drew. And I'll just tell your listeners was zone 13. Okay. And I, and I had, um, I had come across some information online that suggested that zone 13 had some good bulls. You know, again, had I had looked at the public land breakdown. Um, if you, you know, everybody should have some sort of mapping. Service, whether it's uh, Onyx or Basemap or uh, Gaia or Hunt Stand, I mean, I, I could probably list ten of them. But everybody should have one of those, and you can go into you can easily, for example, I use Onyx. You can easily go into Onyx and pull up the hunt, the elk management zones on your on your on your map you know, there in Pennsylvania, and you can start messing around with it just to see how much public land and how much private land is in a particular zone. And so what I, um, so honestly, it was very simple like that. It, was, okay. it wasn't even that complicated. It was like, I knew these were world-class elk. I knew that Pennsylvania managed for world-class elk. And, but I, but for me, I felt like zone 12 or zone 13 were more interesting to me because of their size in uh because of uh, the amount of public land at least that was in 13 it fit the it fit the mold for what uh what you were looking for it kind of fit the uh fit the script so to speak yeah 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 it did and 
And, and so it's, I, I, you know, after the hunt, I've actually gone through each of the zones in, in a very methodical way uh, to look at the breakdown of public and private and look at the harvest locations, which, you know, Pennsylvania sh- will, will share. So anybody can go to the mm-hmm. Pennsylvania Game Commission website and you can see the harvest locations. Unfortunately, they've only updated to 2019. I, I've actually been able to get the 2020 and the 2021 data, but it, it gives you a sense of like, wow, this is great. Like how, what an awesome state that will tell you. Yeah. Well, we we use that you. for bear a lot too. Like we have the exact same information for all the black bear harvest. Yeah. So you now you can break down and it's interesting to see for black bear that you'll have, we always have like the same three counties in Pennsylvania that are always fighting with each other for the lead. But what's really cool is when you look at each year, you can actually see the highest densities within counties. So for instance, you might see that one specific county that, you know, had the highest bear kill, that was where the most were killed. And you can kind of correlate back and be like, oh, no wonder there was such an awesome acorn crop in that specific location. Um, You know, translate that there's another area that I'm thinking of that is not even on the radar in the top five states however it was one of the most dense so that is a really cool yeah. attribute um that this, that pennsylvania offers is that specific information for black bear and elk you know i i have to applaud the pennsylvania game commission for how they promote pennsylvania elk hunting from my understanding it brings in about a, a million dollars of to- tourism dollars to the benazette area absolutely yeah every year, which is awesome. And, uh, you know, I live in Kentucky and I, I get to sort of see both states and how they do it. The other, you know, the other dynamic is that Pennsylvania Game Commission plants food plots for specifically for elk to keep, to reduce that conflict with, you know, local farmers and, and, and other people's private property and that sort of thing. And so if you look at the harvest data, you'll see that's really where a lot of the elk have been harvested around these turnip or alfalfa or whatever it is that they're planting at that time. Again, there's more, there's a little, it's a little bit more than driving up and getting out of your truck and just, sure. Oh, there's the plot. There they are. But it's, there's more nuance to it. And I imagine, you know, as time moves on, I think there will be more nuance and, and maybe like your, your harvest rates will start to, to, to drop down. Kentuckys have dropped down. Elk are, you know, getting smarter. Sure. They're, yeah. And for what I understand, raising. I think they're expanding in Pennsylvania certain yeah. areas. I think there's there's people seeing elk in places of the state that they've never seen it before. So I don't know what that's going to do. If there's going to be changes within the home range, if that's going to change the dynamic of the hunt or not. Yeah. Yeah, I know that they really um, they really want to keep it in within that zone. But yeah, elk are going to do what elk do, and and maybe if if they find a place that uh, that they like, then maybe they spread it out that zone. But that, that's really interesting. I hadn't heard that, but that's interesting. Yeah. So I'm anxious to hear a hunt breakdown. So, I mean, tell me about, like, so, you know, everybody finds out around the same time when you draw. It's, there's no no heads up. It's pretty much like you draw a tag, and the world ro- revolves around that tag, and, and and life life is planned around that, so to speak. And uh, so you had a little bit more time for planning, so to speak, because it was a late-season tag. But walk me through – uh, that process, um, I'm curious to know if you had gone with a guide on this at all, or if you if you did go by yourself. I know you said you're a do-it-yourself kind of guy mentality. Um, 
talk talk us through that. Yeah, no, I it's it's interesting because um, according to um, PGC, the, the about eighty five percent of hunters that get drawn do go with a guy, and I you know I did really what I did with this was I wanted to take a DIY approach, but I did hire a guy. Okay. And so um, the way in my, and, and, you know, my wife was like, do it. You know, you've earned it. Do it. Hire someone. And I'm like, I don't know. I just don't know. I want to, I want to be punished. I want to be, I want to bleed for this. I want to earn it. You know, I don't, I don't want anybody else's help. You know, right. um, but, um, but in the end, I, it's late season. Um, it's not the rut. And it's difficult, as we all know, if we're hunting late season whitetails, it can be difficult sometimes to find what a good mature animal that's not on, you know, someone's cut cornfield or, you know, uh, private, on private land. And, and so I, uh, I, I hired, uh, I did hire a guide, uh, Trophy Rack Lodge. I'll go ahead and give them a, a little plug there. They're fantastic. Larry there is, is awesome. And, uh, Mike was, was my guide and, but I, uh, you know, my, my approach was to, to, um, spend some time scouting, e-scouting, uh, using, uh, the Onyx and using Google Earth and using Gaia to look at, uh, the terrain and, and, you know, looking at the, I wanted to put boots on the ground. I went up there in October and spent a couple days there, brought my kids because I wanted to incorporate them in the process. And so we went to, we went and looked at sort of those harvest sites. And I wanted, because again, Pennsylvania gives you that. And so looking at zone 13, I really wanted to understand, okay, where, you know, where are the elk primarily harvested, but let's try to see where the elk aren't. I, I it's a, these zones, some of them are really, really big. And so, um, we spent a couple of days up there and I mentioned earlier when we were hiking, we ran into uh, a, a guy that was bow hunting and he, you know, he, he had a, a camp there in that zone and he didn't, he hadn't even, he was, you know, my age, maybe a little bit older, but he had never put in for Pennsylvania elk and he had even got elk on his trail camera. And I'm like thinking, and I said, <laughs> and his name was Mike as well. There's a lot of guys named Mike that I met up there. <laughs> and, Not real original up here. <laughs> <laughs> and and I was like, Mike, you got to do me a favor, man. You've got to put in, and you you have a cabin here. It, it just these are you know you're not you couldn't kill an elk like this you know that you have here out in some of the best western states you know. So uh, ultimately, awesome guy, super helpful. He said he even he would even let me stay at his cabin if I wanted to, and I just have such great respect for Pennsylvania hunters and. Um, so we spent some days scouting and, uh, I went up, my hunt started on January 1st and I went up on December 26 or 27 because I wanted to spend some time, uh, scouting, covering ground. It had, there was a little bit of snow that came through, uh, I think one of those days. And so I found some really fresh elk sign, uh, tracks and, and, and scat and all that in, uh, one part of the zone. I put up a couple trail cameras. Um, no. bless you. And, you. uh, <laughs> I, uh, um, and so I had a sense of where, uh, I, I, 
I purposely didn't, I almost didn't want to see elk while I was scouting because I, I was so afraid of, of just bumping them or messing up, you know, the January 1st opener. And so, uh, but so I really, I didn't see elk, but I saw fresh sign. I saw evidence of life. And so, um, and, and so on the opening day, um, my guide and I, Mike, we covered uh, a bunch of ground and, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted, I wanted to work specifically with Mike because I, I knew that he was a grinder like me and that he was going to do whatever it took to help me, uh, fill my tag. And, uh, the, um, you know, again, these are late season elk and in, and in this zone, uh, I think this might have been one of the newer hunts. So to the, to, to zone 13, I, I don't know that I can't remember the exact history of zone okay. 13, but, but I think the late season bull was one of the newer hunts. So I think for even Mike, it was sort of new. And so we were trying to find, uh, you know, to figure out they were where they were, because again, it's not September. They're not rutting and, and it's not even November where you, you know, you're used to be, might be able to find them on their traditional food sources. And so we, um, on, I remember Sunday morning, uh, so opening day was on a Saturday, Sunday morning, of course, we go out to this area that I had found the fresh sign and sure enough, we see a cow and, uh, three bulls. And of course in Sunday, on Sunday, there's no hunting in Pennsylvania. Right. So that was, that was bound to happen. Um, tell me a little but, bit, if you don't mind, um, tell me a little bit, like when you started honing in like you you found some fresh sign and stuff you were talking about food source i'm really curious like what did you have to hone in on and what was your cues or or uh tips of information that really made you like dial in at certain locations was it a certain food source was it um they that they went to a certain area that was adjacent to a food source were you finding pockets of thermal cover that they wanted to be or security from hunting pressure that occurred for the last two months like what were some of those like specifics that really dialed that down that's a good question because in kentucky the 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 um the elk were crushing acorns and surprisingly even in december there were still pockets of acorns and that's how i was able to find i found uh it was uh three bulls and three cows that were grouped together uh, on my Kentucky hunt. There are no food plots. The Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife Resources does not tell you where elk are, have been harvested. They don't, they don't share those records or keep those records. They don't plant food plots like Pennsylvania does. And uh, so there's a different dynamic there. And I talked to probably seven or eight other elk hunters from Pennsylvania from previous years okay. about how they approached. And, and one of the guys I spoke with was somebody that DIY'd it and killed an incredible bull a couple of years ago. I think it was in zone 13 as well, but it was a, a earlier season hunt. And I, I kept the theme I kept hearing Mitchell and Robbie was don't bump the elk, hunt the edges. They are unpressured animals. They are, they are, they are very patternable if you find them. 
And if you go in, then you, you could really mess up your hunt. And, 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 and that, it was hard to, that was a dynamic that I didn't love to hear because like when I hunt deer in Kentucky, I'm not, I'm not hunting on the edge of a field. I'm, I've got my saddle. I'm going in deep and I'm hunting, you know, if I can hunt near bedding or I'm hunting, uh, a, you know, a couple hot scrapes, I'm not afraid. I, you know, I, if I bump a deer, so be it, you know? Um, and, and, and I might, you know, bust, you know, I might ruin a hunt or whatever, but I just, you know, what it's, it's a more of aggressive style and I, that's the way I like it. And that's how I kill my public land deer. And so there's sort of a, it's sort of a, you know, like, Hey, hunt the field edge mentality, um, with, with elk. And that's with, that's with the guy, you know, with the guides and that's with guys that have done it DIY is don't bust them up. They're used to people in certain places, but if you break the bubble, you know, you could, you could ruin your hunt. And so like all of those questions you have, Mitchell, are great questions, but I'll be honest with you. It was never a situation of, of like, well, you know, are they using this thermal cover per se? Uh, I mean, there was a, a little bit of deer hunting pressure, but, um, Actually, I take that back. There was quite a bit of deer hunting pressure. So, okay. And but, that would have been um, flintlock muzzleloader season pressure yeah. at that same time, you're saying? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, flintlock muzzleloader. And there was more people out with doing that than I than I had anticipated. But then again, you've got, you know, all the other previous deer seasons, you know, and all the other previous deer hunters. And, and we all know how many deer hunters there are in Pennsylvania. So it, it's So for me, it was really about, you know, trying to, you know, to hunt the edges, to, 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 to look at the food sources that PGC has put out and where the elk have traditionally been killed and look for hot and look for more the most recent sign. And so, and then, and, and it really, you know, again, it was, um, you know, I found, we found elk on that Sunday, but it was three bulls and they just, they, you know, when you're hunting with a guide, they're, you know, and again, for anybody, for anybody that's a guide that's listening, please don't take this the wrong way. But my perspective and my opinion is that they are trying to, they've got this many clients. They've got, you know, 15 clients. They want to get the biggest bull for every client based on that client's ability for that bull. So... If they have, okay, we've got, you know, someone that's 85 over here. We're going to, we've got a bull identified for them already over here. That's not going to be too physically taxing. We've got, um, this young lady over here. We've got a, we've got a bull over here for her. That's going to be that she's going to be able to shoot or this person has a, a, you know, some other limitation or there's this young guy over here. We can, we're going to stretch his legs and we're going to find a bull, you know. But the other dynamic is that they want you to kill the biggest possible bull because they're, they don't want to kill small bulls, right? Mm-hmm. And that, and that was, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to hire a guide because I wanted to kill something that, um, was bigger than my Montana, my 2018 Montana elk. Uh, you know, I wanted to kill something that was truly a mature animal that was representative of Pennsylvania elk. And so the three bulls that we identified on that Sunday, Quite honestly, none of them cut made that cut. Um, 
And, and so obviously, you know, we could have gone back there, but the benefit of hiring a guide is that they have lots of eyeballs. And, and so not only do you have your guide, like I did with Mike working for me to, to help me one-on-one find elk in the zone that he's an expert of, but also the other guides that had already helped fill tags for other clients, they're out, they're out looking for elk as well. And so that's really where, um, the, uh, another guy, Jamie had identified, uh, a, a set of bull, a set of bulls, about 15 or 16 bulls on private land. Uh, it was a cut cornfield and it was in zone one, which zone one is open to all tag holders. And the reason being is that zone one is really to serve as a, the last stop gap between some of the major highways and some of the major you know, major areas there. They don't want the, the state does not want elk to go past, you know, outside of that zone. And so, so for me, that's really where it was hopeful to hire a guy because I wanted to take a DIY approach, which I did, but to have the different sets of eyes and the, uh, and, and the support of, of guys like Mike and Jamie. And so I believe it was that following Tuesday, um, I guess it would be day three of, of the hunt. Jamie had found a group of 15 bulls and I was able to Not find a, a, Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and so that's again, that sort of ace in the hole that that's the, the exact reason why I wanted to hire a guy because I thought I don't have time to, to, to get permission from far, local farmers. And, and I, you know, I really had a high, I thought that there was to be a high probability that there would be a, you know, a mature bull on some, you know, some private land somewhere, but, you know, good luck trying to find that on your own. Yeah. And within the few days that you have the hunt, it was January 1st to January 8th. And that includes a Sunday. So you have, you know, really, you know, fewer days than, than you'd like. So, so that's where it really worked out. And so, you know, all the credit really, you know, big credit to trophy rack and Jamie and Mike, for helping me find an elk. And so that's, so that Tuesday morning, I was able to harvest my bull. Um, and, uh, you know, at 150 yards, I nice. uh, shot him with, with a six, five Creedmoor. Nice. nice. So awesome. that was over, that was at that private farm and, and that cut cornfield. How many bulls did you see that morning? Well, it, it was like 15 or 16. And, um, you know, they had, uh, you know, really decided that they wanted to, to, to feed, you know, in, in, you know, in January on a cut cornfield. Okay. And so really it, it, it really helped, you know, Pennsylvania sort of, you know, take one less, you know, it took one less bull out of that zone that it's, so it's let, you know, one less bull that's close to, I think it's I-80 or something like that, that runs near there. Yeah, yeah at least where I, yep. at least where I was, and uh, you know it's helping reduce you know property damage for you know for that for that uh, for that farmer, and then obviously helped me punch my tag with a uh, with an incredible bull with a real mature bull. It scored scored he grows three seventy five. Wow! Uh, oh my know. word! I mean, honestly, honestly, guys, and to your listeners, three seventy five is a great bull anywhere 
I mean, there were there are other bulls in, in that area that I was in on Zone One that, that were on private farms that were you know four hundred inches sure. and such. Yeah. And you hear that a lot. There's a lot of four hundred inch. I mean, I think I, I don't think I'm exaggerating if I say a four hundred inch bull gets killed in Pennsylvania oh. every year. Um, right. And uh, that's a fantastic thing, but th- there's everybody's got a different perspective. You know, what are you looking at? I mean, there's some people, you know, you, you were pretty adamant that I wanted to try to do as much of it on my own as possible. And, uh, that's, that's your prerogative and there's nothing wrong with that. And that 375, I mean, I, I, I would be ecstatic with a 375 inch bull. Um, I went elk hunting, uh, three years ago in Montana and killed a beautiful six by six bull with my bow and it was I want to say like a 315 320 class bull and uh, I, I was ecstatic I was absolutely ecstatic and I went with a guide and there's uh there's there's two sides of that you know everybody has an idea of what the experience should look like um the experience and some people should be I want to work for it I don't want anybody to help me along the way and if if I can connect that's even sweeter and I agree with that person and there, there's the other side of it from where I came from with this elk hunt is this was like a bucket list dream thing I wanted to do. And, yeah. you, you know, w- the way you handled your, your elk hunt um, in Pennsylvania was kind of the way I did. Like, I, I, I wanted to do as much as I could and research, but I also wanted to have a really good experience when I was here and, and get the most of it. And a local, a guide is a great way to do that. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and the thing is, is that, um, you know, when, if you have the means for it, uh, you know, from financially, you know, you've earned that, right? I mean, that, that hunt that you did out in Montana, you've earned that. And, um, and that was really what, yeah, that you was know, a couple of years of penny saving and kissing yeah. my wife's <laughs> rear end. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was a great experience. And I, um, uh, I would definitely do it all, do it again because of, the people that I got to meet and interact with and, uh, you know, the, the, the terrain is there in Pennsylvania and that elk management zones are just beautiful. And like I said, uh, the, um, and I did, you know, like I said, I tried to approach it with a DIY mindset because I really didn't, you know, like, like you, when you're out Montana, you're, um, you know, it's a little different. I mean, there's, you know, you're, the mountains are maybe a little bit bigger. I don't know. Um, and you're, you're looking at different food sources and you're thinking about thermals and you're, um, you know, it's just a lot of different dynamics. But here in, when you're Eastern elk hunting, you do really have to think about the, the boundaries of private and public and how they come into play. Because in Kentucky and in Pennsylvania, you know, if the elk, Decide the elk are going to be where they want to be. And if they're on private land, I mean, it's not like you can sort of, you know, it's not millions of acres like you have out west. Yeah. It's a couple hundred thousand. And it, 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 uh, it, it's really something that you had to be cognizant of. So, so for me, it was great to have, you know, extra eyeballs out to find a good mature bull like I did. Uh, he was, I had a, uh, I brought, I drove a Subaru and I brought a bunch of coolers and I brought more cooler space than I needed that, you know, for my Montana elk. And it wasn't even close to being enough. It was, <laughs> it was, it was laughable how big Pennsylvania elk are. And, and I had the, 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 the antlers on top of my Subaru. I drove that home eight <laughs> hours 
all kinds of people looking and honking at me and talking <laughs> to me at gas station. Um, and you know, the meat was inside the car and, and I, I was able to keep it cool, but I couldn't fit the quarter in one of my, my giant cooler. Like it was, it, it, I couldn't even close the lid. It was insane. Mm. It's insane how big these elk are. So delicious. Uh, me too. Oh yeah. 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 Delicious. And, uh, and, and hopefully, I mean, I have two kids. We're going through it really fast, unfortunately. <laughs> so. so one thing I'd be curious about, do you think, so you harvested a bull in 2018, you said in Montana, yeah. and then you killed a bull in Pennsylvania here. Is there any difference to your palate, one area to the other and what they're consuming? Cause I've heard people make that comment and I always like, kind of like, eh, really? But I wonder your perspective. I, you know, I don't know. I don't, I mean, obviously, uh, the one I killed was eating, you know, corn, <laughs> but, and the one I killed in Montana was, was eating, you know, was grazing on, on grass out there and, and he was significantly smaller. I mean, it honestly doesn't even look like the same species when you look at, I, I, I Euro mounted both of mine. Um, and when, you know, when you have them side by side, like, it doesn't even look like the, it looks like a whitetail, honestly. Uh, my elk from Montana and my, and that, and my elk from Montana looks, my whitetails look small. So it's, it's crazy how big, uh, but from a, a taste standpoint, I, I really couldn't tell you if I taste the difference. It's been so long since I had that eaten that Montana elk. I just know it's good. I yeah. mean, I, oh, yeah. I'm out of it and I'm ready to go again. It's kind of my mentality. I hear you. I, I hear you. So from your perspective, um, is there, you know, if, if you ever have the opportunity to do it again in Pennsylvania, um, is there anything you're going to try to do different, go about differently, um, want to experience a little differently? Yeah, you know, um, it'll take, I have to wait five years before I can put start building points or put back in for the draw. Uh, if, for those, that, if they drew, drew a cow tag or if I had drawn a cow tag, you, there's no wait period just, you know, for your listeners. But if it's a bull, you have to wait five years. But, you know, like say my kids get drawn or I, I doubt that I'll get drawn again. But if I did, um, you know, I think I would try to do it purely DIY. I, I think, uh, I, I think I could network enough, um, that I might be able to, uh, find people, you know, farmers, you know, when I was up there, I started to get to know a lot of people, uh, in addition to the gentleman that I mentioned, uh, that, you know, had a cabin in that zone, there were some other guys up there. I think I, I think that's a big part of it. And if you are from Pennsylvania and you live in that area, maybe you can network enough to sit, to, to be like, Oh, I know this guy has far, you know, elk on his property, you know, every January or, and of course it depends on the season too. I mean, if it's a September, hunt i mean i would definitely do it diy because i feel pretty confident in my abilities to call elk to um to to take a you know a, a you know a frontal shot if i'm hunting by myself I, I that's how i killed my montana elk was a frontal shot i you know i feel very confident in my abilities mm -hmm. in, the, in the month of september at least finding elk and, and killing a, a nice bull and i think i'd probably take that same approach with my kids um but i think you know Again, going back, you know, in a late season situation, I think it's important to to know, you know, some of the, you know, some of the, depending on the zone, some of the the, 
private property owners to, so that you can um, network with them and get permission and such. So that's pretty. Cool. I definitely, yeah, I definitely know a lot more. I mean, what I I try, what I've tried to do is put together a resource for folks that get drawn or are interested in getting drawn. So I I go down sort of systematically and try to break down each of the zones from where the harvests are. Uh, we look at different mapping tools and um, that sort of thing to find um, property that's you know available for hunting, private property that's available for hunting. Uh, some of the uh, the wind tools. Uh, there's just so many different layers that you can get with Onyx and, and some of the other mapping tools to help you e-scout and really break down a zone. And so um, I feel a lot more comfortable, quite honestly, than I did, you know, prior to prior to the the hunt a couple months ago. That's fantastic. What do you think, Robbie? Now, it, I mean, I was thinking the whole time you were talking, I I. You answered all the questions I that popped into my head, but I mean, talking to you gets me pumped up for hunting season in general. And I do, I haven't, unlike Mitchell, I haven't put in for any 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 points or anything or any elk tag or anything in Pennsylvania. My my dad's a big Western hunter, and he's gotten four elk out there, and uh, so that's all I've really been putting in for and focused on. But um, I would I would love to do a Pennsylvania hunt and. Only have to travel. Now, only have to travel three hours to get up there, and uh, no. But it, it, what you were saying with kind of like your your uh, your hybrid hunt, if that's okay, if I call it that, with the guide and doing it yourself. Um, it sounds a lot like any time you would hunt deer too, where you have to put in that time ahead of time, put in that scouting, and even. Even when you do uh, hire someone, I mean, there's still a lot of work to be put in. It's not like they just sit you down and they're right there. Um, unless your unless your dad's deer hunting with me, then I take yeah. him and I sit then him out of spot. Right and say, okay, the buck's gonna come up here. I <laughs> exactly. hope he listens to this and hears <laughs> I that because I want to bust on him so bad. <laughs> Real quick, I we did a we do a group hunt in, in our rifle season and um, we had a families got together and um, his dad shot a buck on a on a little push we did. But uh, I was the one that dropped him off at that spot, so I tease him all yeah. the time, like, yeah, like, you know, take you to the right no, spot I, kind of deal. But. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that that's, that's uh, we got to honor our uh, elders, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, he's going to be like, son of a <laughs> no, that's, no, that's awesome, though, and, and I mean, my, my cousins go out west, too, and they, they, like, they do only uh they've only gone from mule deer hunting but they they do it all do it yourself and um and my dad the last time he went went out for elk he has two two friends that live out in Wyoming so he kind of has the inside scoop with them but he, he did a do it yourself one with them and like they hired or they bought or rented horses to pack everything in and out and they went 20 miles in and to get their elk and uh, that was one of his favorite hunts ever. Now he he keeps saying now he wouldn't be able to do it physically, go in and out like that. But um, no, that's no. Your story is awesome, and I just get pumped I, I think, up thinking about it. You know, I I think honestly, um, like I I'm a big in, I'm big into to fitness, yeah. and uh, 
And, and I, I always, whenever I say the word fitness, I'll say fitness pizza in my mouth. But, um, <laughs> but no, I'm, I'm big into fitness and I always have been. But when, um, when I started Western elk hunting and looking at those sorts of physical challenges, I mean, if you look at it like it's a, like, Hey, I'm going to run the, the Boston marathon sort of thing. It, it can be really motivating to, to do, to go after those sorts of things. All of a sudden, if you sort of build your life around it, you, you start changing how you eat and what you eat. And, and you maybe you drink a little less and you're trying to lose weight. And, and, uh, it, it is amazing. My concern is that with Western elk hunting becoming with the availability of information now, it, and it has become so popular and states are becoming, um, States are changing, yeah. and well, yeah. you know, yeah. I, Idaho changed. Wyoming um, is going to. Yeah, Wyoming's changing. Montana has changed theirs, where you know you can't really build uh, preference. Uh, yeah. I believe it's preference prefer, preference points anymore. Yep. Um, you can still build bonus points, but you right. can't build preference points in Montana. And so, and so, if anybody's listening. Don't wait. Or, yeah, I shouldn't say if anybody. For those that are listening, don't wait. If you want to go Colorado over the counter and, and, and you know, it's going to be darn crowded because there's a lot of people going over the counter to Colorado because it's the last remaining over the counter, really true over the counter state. I would just encourage you to do it because if you decide to wait for it, you're A, you maybe you won't be as in good at health as you are today. And B, the opportunity might not be there. Yeah. But the other piece of it, and I know we've talked a little bit about Pennsylvania and Kentucky, but just to, you know, give some value to your listeners, you know, Tennessee's a, a state to look at. Mm. Virginia, Virginia's a state to look at. Um, I got to look at my cheat sheet up here. Missouri and North Carolina have herds. Now they don't allow hunting for them yet. And West Virginia has herds that they're building. They don't have hunting for them yet. But for your listeners, keep an eye on those states. They yeah. may. I just heard a podcast know. that uh, Nate Thomas did. Uh, Nate is the, um, he's the host for Missouri Woods and Water, and he did one with Nine Finger Chronicles. And he told me that Missouri had. He said on the podcast, he didn't tell me. Said that Missouri had their inaugural elk hunt for residents okay. down there. I didn't even I didn't, know they had a had a, a herd, but apparently in the Ozarks they they have a herd. Yeah, I I didn't even realize that. So. You know, now whether they offer, and to your point, maybe it's just going to be, they're going to keep it residents. I know, um, you know, there's some, there are some other states like South, South Dakota's resident only, Michigan's resident only, um, I think Wisconsin's resident only. So I'm looking at my cheat sheet here, but you know, there are some states that are resident only. So, you know, I mean, maybe I misspoke about, um, uh, you know, about, uh, oh, Missouri, but, but yeah, you know, it's just important to keep eyes on those states because you could be ahead of the curve while everybody's zagging to go to the west. You can yep. sort of zag to the east and, and and put yourself in a good spot. So, um, but yeah, it's 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 really exciting. I hope to get my kids out at some point to elk hunt. Uh, they're just school is such a conflict. I hate school. I wish we could just take. Them out. <laughs> So um, I appreciate you sharing all those experiences with me. I'm I'm curious. So um, there there's a progression I think with most hunters. I mean, so, some people go hunting, and then there's people who just want to get better and do the next thing, and it's all you know checking you know things and keeping that drive going. And 
I kind of went through a lull at, at one point not too long ago where <clears throat> I was tra- trying to find my next thing. Like, wh- what's my next thing I'm motivated for? And it kind of, I, I kind of plateaued a little bit. Now I'm, you know, trying to grind back back to it. But you know, you went, uh, you were successful. You killed a Montana bull. You you uh, killed a fantastic um, Pennsylvania bull. You were able to to hunt and experience Kentucky. What's next? What's got you hungry? What's got you uh, looking for the next best thing, um, whether that's Western hunting of another species or maybe it's still an elk? You know, I personally, I've, um, you know, I turned 48 this year and I've talked to my wife and I'm like, listen, I don't want to 12 years from now, you know, I don't know what I'm going to be <laughs> this is when I'm 60 and I need to do this. It's, it's something that's important to me. However, and I've been building points in a lot of different states for a long time in Wyoming and Colorado and Montana and Arizona. Um, and, and I could draw tags for elk if I wanted to. But as I mentioned, my kids can't hunt with me. And I don't want to be that type of father who is is in, so in love with hunting that it sort of my kids feel like they don't, you know, that, that their dad doesn't want to spend time with them or he loves hunting more than them. And so. Honestly, this year, I, I, I pronounced it year of the deer. Um, you know, my kids are starting, you know, my kids are 15 and 13 and we're just going to whack them and stack them from a deer standpoint. Um, they're getting that. a lot. Nope. Yeah. They're not, they're really getting really good with their bows and, and we might, uh, you know, I live in Kentucky, but we might cross the river to Indiana and hunt a little bit there. Now I am working on a, uh, taking my son out west for a pronghorn hunt this year um i just put in for some, for some this year too okay okay yeah i mean there are some states that are before school starts with with like an august 15th start and so i'm there's a high confidence that i'm gonna him and i are gonna go out west for a prong nice. hunt and uh i don't care if we get anything or not it's just i'm trying to infect him with the same disease that i have <laughs> and so <laughs> It's, it's, it, it might be, you know, I, my, my gut feeling tells me that if a kid is addicted to the outdoors and the adventure of the outdoors, that anything else that they experience in college or later in high school will pale in comparison to the drug that is, you know, hunting. So, so that's, the, that's the goal there. And then when they, um, you know, when they go off to college or whatever, then I'll, it'll be time to cash in those points, hopefully. And hopefully there'll be opportunities left for, for me. Who knows? So, like I said, the states are changing. Unfortunately, I just can't, I can't, I can't make that trade. You know, yeah. I can't say, well, I'm going to go all cunning this year. And, you know, I just, I want my kids to, to, to be part of, of the hunting experience. That's pretty cool because, um, I currently have a two-year-old and a seven-week-old, and I am, of course, wanting wanting a, a little little clan of hunters. But uh, I struggle with that, you know, trying to, you know, get into this mental, whatever you want to call it, funk. That it's just like it's hunting season; it's time to go, and I got to find the time. I got to make the time because I got to get it done. And yeah. I, t- that's healthy to an extent, but. I've, I've truly, in my mind, the way I want to try to live my life is I want to put um, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in first 
and yep. then my family and then my you know my friends and then my um my finances my job my career and then at the end of that is is where my hobbies and, and ultimately my hunting and, and my interests are i'm not saying that i i execute that really well but in my mind and in, in, in what i truly believe that's what i i want to line up uh, throughout the years, so I I wrestle with that back and forth, and I'm sure you do as a as a father. But I, I really like that um, you're trying to do everything you can to pass on to the next generation because we are at a time now where there is as much controversy over hunting and and push from anti hunting agenda as there ever has, and we cannot divide um, as hunters. I mean, we've got to try to continue to grow and support each other. Yeah. I mean, the Sportsman's Alliance, uh, you know, I like to bang the drum for them. They represent hunters uh, across the country. And as, you know, Washington State loses bear hunting mm. in California, you can't hunt cougar or, you know, mountain lions or whatever. And, you know, people are trying to take away, you know, trapping or hunting with dogs, which I don't hunt or trap. But when you start taking away those things, you're trying. Eventually, you're going to come after deer hunting or turkey hunting or whatever. So I'm right there with you, man. We've got to, um, we've got to, you know, invest in our our kids and, and, and have them interested in the outdoors. We got to share the, the the meat that we harvest with mm. people that don't hunt, so that they understand the link. And I've done a lot of that with the elk. I've had I've shared it with a bunch of people and. and in my bump up my Bible study and, and, and other groups, neighbors. And, sure. uh, and so all of those things are so important. And I know it's a little bit of a tangent, but it's really important because we, uh, yeah, we can't take this stuff for granted. It's a tangent. I don't mind going down because it's something that's very important to me. And I don't mind having those conversations on this show because I'd love to drive that home to listeners that, you know, I have my ways and I'm set my ways of how I want to do stuff. But at the end of the day, I want to do whatever's going to support Robbie and I want to do whatever's going to support Jacob and the hunting community. And yeah. if we have major differences in how we do things, that's okay. We were created different. That's right. That's right. I mean, the, uh, you know, we hear, I, I you know, tan, tangent number two. I, we won't have, we don't have to dive into it because I know we've been going long, but <laughs> this, this whole thing about cell cameras, I don't know where you guys land on it. I know how I feel about it. And I think that I think cell cams are great. And I think sometimes I hear people talking about it that are YouTube hunters and, and they talk about cell cams in a negative light and they forget about the guy that's the nine to five or the, the, the working third shift, not nine to five, but or factory dude that has this much time to hunt. And I'm like, guys, why are you trying to take away technology? I mean, we use sonar to go fishing, you know, like what are you, you know, why is a cell camera? Uh, I've heard the word cheating from other hunters, mm -hmm. YouTube, yeah. you other YouTube hunters. And I, I love their content, but guys, you are you are disconnected from reality. You don't you get to hunt for your living. Truly, we have you know other guys are teachers and doctors and lawyers and factory workers. They don't have that kind of time and they have families. And a cell if a cell cam help, helps them spot a deer, then so be it. But tr we all know that if you, even if you're standing right there, 
you can't walk into the woods if the buck is in front of the camera. Mm-hmm. You, you, it's just going to run away. It doesn't yep. really, it doesn't change it that, you know, you don't. So anyways, but <laughs> I, I, I could go for a long, on, a long time on that. But well, I, that's just how I could go a long time on public land versus private land. Because yeah. we went through fa- uh, decades and phases of private land was the cool thing and growing giant deer and harvesting the biggest deer in the woods. And that's still a pretty big thing. What I love that's happened in recent times is the push for public land and making that cool again. And the uh, I-, I love both of them. But what I can't stand is when you shoot a buck and you're, you're meeting with friends or people, you're sharing, you know, like we're talking about right now. You know, Jacob, yeah. how was your hunting season this past year? And you show me the picture of the buck that you killed last year. And the first thing out of my mouth should not be, did you kill that on public? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who cares? I, I killed it. I worked my tail off regardless of the property, regardless yep. of the playing field, and it was my deer. And what does it matter if I went out – if it's legal to, and that was what I was getting at, because you what you said about the the cameras and such, if it's legal where you're doing it, yeah. embrace it. Yep. You don't have to like it, but embrace it because there's people who do it, and there's there might be reasons that you don't you, you can't relate to. The state biologists, the bi, you know, state biologists weigh in on you know what the, the numbers should be right based on. Last year's harvest statistics and that sort of thing. If if this guy down the down the road kills a, a great big buck off his porch and it's legal, God bless him. If he has a tag, God bless him because it's not between me and him and how he killed it. It's between him and the state. And if they needed, you know, we we have a certain number of deer that we need to harvest. So I'm right there with you. I mean, it's not a you know I I take a lot of pride in the public land deer that I kill, mm. but you're absolutely right. I mean, if somebody, there's a lot of people that do land management and, and they know, they know land and they know plant identification. They know they're like true biologists, right? And, and they understand things on a deeper level than I know because they're, they're designing and they're building, you know, a property to, uh, to grow big deer or whatever it is. So sure. I'm right there with you. Sure. Well, there's a lot to digest. What do you think, Robbie? Yeah. No. Uh, we're a lot so, of good information. Pro- we're solving the world's problems. We right always do on these shows. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was, I mean, not to keep going on the tangent, but I, it, within my family and with my friend group, there's different viewpoints on how to hunt and where to hunt and everything like that. But uh, going back to what we first talked about on this podcast, even though we all have different viewpoints, we all still help each other. I mean, I know some of the guys that are mm. big time public land hunters. They'll st- they're still going to help me harvest a deer, even though if I'm hunting in their area or if I'm hunting with guys who have some private land, they're going to do whatever they can to help me get a buck on their private land. So it's no matter the viewpoint, hunters stick together, it seems like. so. Bingo. Jacob, um, do you have any last things or anything we might have missed um, about Pennsylvania elk hunting, eastern elk hunting you'd like to share with us before we let you go? You know, I just want to throw it out to your listeners that if they, um, those that are, want to learn more about any of the elk draws, the eastern elk draws, I mentioned Pennsylvania, Kentucky, 
uh, and, and let's say specifically Pennsylvania, if they mm-hmm. want to ask me any questions at all, I'm on Instagram. Okay. Shoot me a thousand questions. I'll be happy to answer any and all of them. Like we said, you know, like Robbie just said, well, I mean, we're all here to help each other succeed. I'll probably never draw up another Pennsylvania elk tag. I mean, maybe my kids will, but I probably won't. So I'm willing to share anything and everything. Um, and in my experiences and, uh, and then of course, if you're putting in for Kentucky and have questions about Kentucky, or some of the other states that I put in for, I'll be happy to help. Um, I'm not, um, I know, I know a lot about elk hunting just because I'm, I love to learn, but I'm not, you know, I'm not the greatest elk hunter in the world. I certainly don't know all the answers and I would never pretend that to, to, to be that or have that, but I'll definitely be happy to help. That's, that's, uh, great to know. We'll make sure that we tag you in, uh, in our posts for this episode this week. And, uh, Correct me if I'm wrong. You have uh, you kind of created some kind of planner or something for helping people with that, isn't that correct? Yeah, I, I did. I, um, I I have a, a, a master's in teaching. I, I love to learn and I love to share information. And it's funny, even some ever since I was a little boy, I would write down things about how to catch smallmouth bass. <laughs> and it was yeah. just I was really nerdy that way, and something wrong with me. And so. I did create a Pennsylvania elk hunt planner and it's really looking at, um, breaking down each of the elk zones. If you're looking at what you, which one you want to apply for and what each of them sort of offers, looking at different maps that you can use to, and I, and I do it visually. I break down the units visually. Uh, I provide some e-scouting tools that uh, we look at uh, topographic maps 101 and what to look for in terms of benches and saddles and pinch points and funnels. Um, we look at creating your hunt objective because as we talked about what my objective was at the beginning, it's really important to define what you want for your hunt because you're going to have a lot of people that want to weigh in. They, they might say, oh, you need to hire a guide or you don't need to hire a guide or you need, you know, you want to hunt this area or you want to do it this way. And really it needs to be about what you truly want. We look at creating a, a hunt plan for each day. Um, elk behavior from movement and calling, uh, local logistics in terms of, uh, things there, you know, where to stay, uh, if you need a, a dog to help track an injured bull or injured elk or, you know, look, we look at a lot of different layers of information, all the things that I did to prepare for my own hunt, plus even more. And then I, I created, uh, the same thing for Kentucky elk, a hunt planner. And then I created a tool for Western elk hunt planning. Uh, and they're all similar, but they're all very different because mm-hmm. the logistics are very different. The idea ultimately is to maximize every single second of your hunt and not waste it because, you, you know, you only get so many days, whether you're traveling to Montana or Colorado or whether you're hunting in Pennsylvania. You don't want, there's certain things, there's certain efficiencies that you can create and put in place beforehand so that you really maximize your hunt experience. And so I did publish three books. They're on Amazon. But again, people don't have to, you know, buy my book. I'm happy to just, if they want to check it out, they can, you know, you can go to Amazon and you can click through some of the pages. Uh, I have a link in my profile on, on, on Instagram and my profile is Jay Coons Hunts. Um, but honestly, if people just want to ask me questions, I'm, I, you know, I'm happy to do that. It's not, you know, it's not about 
selling a bunch of books. It's really just, I just like to share information. So Sure, but that's still great information. Yep. So we'll make sure we, we put all that in links in the description, all that good stuff. Uh, Jacob, thank you very, very much for uh, for coming on and sharing this with us. I, I love when I get to talk to people with a teaching background. We, we did one with another fella, um, Nate Sellers, who, same thing, teaching background. And, and your, your mind works in ways that mine doesn't, and it makes it so easy for me to understand. Yeah. I really appreciate your perspective on everything and also your, your experience. I, I really, really enjoy that. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate that. I, um, I'm just a bit of a, a nerd sometimes, uh, with some of this stuff. And, and like I said, I just, it's just, it's, it's, it's about collecting information and, and putting it in a logistical, uh, format for others to sort of consume. Sure. And, um, it's just, uh, I don't know. I would do it <laughs> for free, I guess, if, if, um, you know, I just, it's something I enjoy doing. So I, after I, I publish those three books, I don't know what I'm going to do next now. I got to figure out something else. <laughs> Shoot an elk in I'm, another state, right? Yep. There you go. Well, I think that's, you know what? I like that, Mitchell. I like that. Let's, I'll plan on that. But uh, thanks again for having me. Appreciate it, guys. Yep. Thank you, Jacob. Have a good one.